Hello, everyone. Welcome to Eternity, where love never fails. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is the Eternity Bible Study Podcast, where we walk through the Bible together every weekday, Monday through Friday. We're podcasting from here in the United States and in Zambia with a goal to share our thoughts and encourage one another as we read God's Word together verse by verse. My co-host in Zambia, Matali and I, are both listening to Through the Bible Podcast and then sharing our thoughts and encouragement with you. From America to Africa and everywhere else, God is in control. As always, our attribution goes to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. So if you've ever wanted to try to read the Bible every day, we hope you can join us. We're regular people just like you, trying to learn more about God and walk in step with His Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bible, feel free to read along. And if not, no problem. We'll try to put it all together for you. So let's get started. Well, we're back in in Haggai in the second chapter, and we're finishing up this little book today. Um, It's been a quick little book, but boy, what great lessons we've learned. So uh, chapter two, uh, we're beginning where we left off. Uh, Verse 14, then Haggai answered and said, So it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, so with every work of their hands. And what they offer there is unclean. And remember, earlier in the chapter, um, God asks uh, Haggai to ask the the priests um, a couple of questions. You know, and basically, in summary, uh, it was, if one's carrying around a bunch of holy meat, and it's super-duper holy, and that holy meat touches something else... <clears throat> Does, does all the other food that the holy meat touch become holy? And the answer is no, because the meat's holy, but the other stuff that it might come in contact with is not going to just become holy. <clears throat> because the meat itself has gone through this sanctification. So then he says, okay, um, let me ask you another question. If you got somebody working with a bunch of dead bodies, and then they go touch the food... Does the food become unclean itself? Because, you know, if the person's touching dead bodies, does that make the food unclean? And the answer to that one was, yeah, it does. Nobody's going to want to eat that food. And so the the thing that we were talking about yesterday is that we're sort of like the unclean people working with dead bodies. That's us. Um, We can go around... Uh, and touch all the clean things we want. And all we're going to do is make things dirty. Nothing holy can come from that which is unholy. We are unholy people. And nothing good can come from us. Not our wisdom, not our theology, not our politics. Nothing man-made um, that comes from man will be holy. Nothing will be clean because man is unclean. And what is holy, if you have something holy, just because something's holy and it it tries to touch on something that that is regular, 
it doesn't necessarily make it holy. And so it illustrates the big division between God and man. But man can do something holy if God's presence is with him. If God sanctifies man, then man can do holy things. But apart from God, man cannot do anything holy. So that's kind of where we are. And so this is where Haggai said, So it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. So with every work of their hands, what they offer there is unclean. That's what he's talking about. The people without God, they can't do anything clean. Verse 15, Now then consider from this day forth, forward to this day onward before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord how did you fare when one came to a heap of 20 measures there were but 10 when one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures there were only 20 and God saying you know how did you do without me and then in verse 17 he says I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail. Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. In other words, God's saying, look, I put all this hardship in front of you to try to get you to turn to me. But you didn't turn to me. You trusted more and more in your ability to do things yourself. And again, without me, you can't do anything. It's just like somebody handling dead bodies. You can't then go to food and touch the food and and let let the food be let the food be good you can't do anything good without me verse 18 consider from this day onward from the 24th day of the ninth month since the day that the foundation since since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid consider in other words now since the time that you guys have started working back on my temple in, in working for me, consider verse 19. Is the seed yet in the barn? Is the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing? Okay, so right now he's saying, I know your crops are still being planted. He's saying, but from this day onward, I will bless you. He's saying, God's saying, I'm going to bless your harvest and it is not even harvest time yet because you've now been working on my house. You've been putting my house ahead of your house. Without me, you couldn't do anything. But now that you have worked on the house for my presence to be with you, I can bless you. And of course, this analogy to the house could be we can work on our own spiritual household, which is our own self. You're a temple for God. You, each one of us. So we want to work on God's temple to let His presence be with us so that He can do that holy work with us. Verse 20, the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. And McGee says, I think this is Christmas Eve. Why did he, why did he get two messages on Christmas Eve? I don't know, but um, McGee says this was Christmas Eve. 
Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judea, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of the kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nation and overthrow the chariots and their riders. All these things that people are putting their faith in. huh? God says, I'm going to shake everything up. And the horses and their riders shall go down, everyone by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. There's going to be a day when the Lord asserts his authority and brings down all the kingdoms of the world and those that who have honored him he will take he will save and lift up like a signet ring lift up out of our death into his honor into his glory the signet ring my study bible says is evidence of royal authority and ownership like the king says i own this and his authority is that he owns us he has sanctified us we are holy because of him and he would assert his authority in heaven and on earth like we are his royal representative, like that signet ring represents. So, a very, very powerful book here in Haggai. It talks about, consider your ways. How is your spiritual household doing? Are you working and living to please God? Or are you working and living to ask God, please, please give me what I want? Are we working to glorify ourselves or to glorify Him? It's God's will that we live to please Him. To glorify Him by allowing His presence to be with us so that He then can work in us His holy works. The salvation of us our souls, and for us to be His holy signet ring, His holy representative, because He who can do holy things can do holy things in us because we will be cleaned and bring Him glory. Wow, what a powerful little book, huh? So we'll stop here. And we'll start up our next study tomorrow. And now I'll turn the rest of the podcast over to my co-host in Zambia, Matali. Matali, I hope you're doing great. And I hope you've just enjoyed this study, all of you, as much as I have. God bless you all, and we'll see you next time. Hello. So today we conclude our study in the little prophecy of Haggai. It's been a great journey and it's been a very practical book. 
Haggai is a very practical prophet and a lot of his teachings are very, very applicable to our everyday life today. And um, our teaching is coming from Haggai chapter 2, beginning at verse 14, all the way to verse 23. So Haggai was a very practical person who walked around with a measuring rod and was on the ground, on the foundation of this temple that was being built. And, you know, Haggai makes us realize that many a times we like to give excuses that, you know, it is God's will um, that we shouldn't do certain things. And, you know, we tend to slack and be lazy and be very complacent in the situation that we're in because we're being lazy as Christians. Uh, but, you know, like these people in Haggai's time, you know, the right time is now. The right time to work is now. You know, Haggai is encouraging them to, you know, keep the faith and to work. And, uh, you know, not to give excuses that, you know, it's not God's time. So, we are in the fourth message that Haggai delivered, and it was on the 24th of December, 520 BC, and he went in to the priests to ask concerning a law as, you know, the Mosaic Lord didn't cover all the details of life in Israel. And, you know, when a matter arose, you know, the specific matters when a matter arose that was not actually covered they were to appeal to the priests and we have this in Deuteronomy 17 um, at verses 8 through to verse 11 let me just turn to the book of Deuteronomy so that's Deuteronomy 17 from verses 8 to verse uh, 11 and I read verse 8 if a matter arises which is too hard for you to judge between degrees of guilt, for bloodshed between one judgment or another, or between one punishment or another, matters of controversy within your gates, then you shall arise and go up to the place which the Lord your God chooses, and you shall come to the priests, the Levites, and the judge there in those days, and inquire of them, they shall pronounce upon you the sentence of judgment." Verse 10 goes on to read, You shall do according to the sentence which they pronounce upon you in the, that place which the Lord chooses, and you shall be careful to do according to all that they order you. Verse 11, according to the sentence of the law <coughs> in, which you, in which they instruct you, according to the judgment which they tell you, you shall do, you shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left from the sentence which they pronounce upon you. So Haggai went up to, um, and asked the priests, you know, a twofold question. So basically he asked two questions or he asked one question, but it had two folds. But, you know, all in all, he asked questions that required two answers. And, um, and that's we have in verse 12 of Haggai which actually reads that's uh, Haggai chapter 2 verse 12 which reads if one carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and with the edge he touches bread or stew wine or oil or any food will it come will it become holy then the priests answered and said no so basically here 
holiness like what scripture is telling us holiness is not communi- communicable uh communicable sorry communicable so you cannot brush against something you know you cannot brush an unclean thing against something that's clean and expect it to become clean you know the unclean thing to become clean it's not communicable communicable oh i don't know why i keep saying it that way it's not communicable and then Haggai went on and asked another question that's in um, verse 13. He asked, and Haggai said, If one who is unclean because of a dead body, um, because of a dead body, touches any of these, will it be unclean? So the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. So the unclean, that's what uh, this verse is, is talking about. The unclean can make the clean or the holy, unclean or unholy. So holiness is not communicable, but unholiness is communicable. And so when the unholy and the holy come into contact, both are unholy. And this works out in every realm of life. Um, You know, it works out in the physical realm of life. It works out in the material realm of life. It works out in the medical realm of life. It works out in every realm of life. So an example that Dr. J.B. McGee gave was, um, you know, two test tubes. One test tube contains clean water and the other test tube contains water uh, that's been dipped, uh, water that has ink in it. So it's not clean, clear water. So if you pour the clean, clear water into the water that's contaminated with ink, that's uh, water that's contaminated with ink does not become clear and clean. No matter how much water you're going to pour, it still has ink in it. But if you pour, if you if you do it the other way around, oh, so 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 that's one fold of the question. So you know, just because something that's clean or holy touches something that's unclean or unholy, that doesn't make the unclean or um, unholy thing clean or holy. And you know, the other way around, if you pour the water that has ink in it into a test tube um, that has water that's clean and clear, that, um, that water that has ink in it will contaminate the clean water. So that holds true in every aspect of life. If an unclean or unholy thing, gadget, um, you know, um, you know, thing in life, in reality, just touches something that's holy and something that's unclean, that's something that's clean, um, it will pollute that um, particular um, holy um, thing that it's come into contact with. So, you know, this is true in the medical field, it holds true. In the, in, 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 in the physical realm, it holds true. It's, it's, it's true. Say, for example, if, um, you know, my neighbor has chicken pox, I don't have chicken pox. And I decide, oh, hey, let me rub my healthy side, my chicken pox-less body on the person who has chicken pox. That's not going to cure the person who has chicken pox, but I'm going to get chicken pox. So this holds true in all aspects of life. So, um, you know, the example um, I've just given, you know, of chicken pox or measles. So... So we have this holding true in, 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 in our material world that we live in and in the physical world that we live in and um, in the moral realm as well. So one can't attempt to deal with 
you know, the filth and expect to actually come out clean. So, you know, like there's a saying that says you can't, you know, when you lie with the dogs, you will get fleas. You know, you're hanging around with a crowd that has fleas. You're going to catch fleas. And, you know, don't expect to come out like fleeless. You're going to catch fleas. So say, for example, you decide to roll around in the mud, you know, you put on a, you know, a pretty nice white um, outfit and you decide, oh, oh, hey, here's a puddle of mud. Let me roll out in the mud. And, you know, don't expect to come out dirty. You're coming out dirty because you're rolling in the mud. So this also works in the religious realm as well. So a lot of us think religion is a ritual you just go through. You know, you just go through it. It's a ceremony and this makes one actually acceptable to God because one has been through a ceremony. For example, baptism. Baptism is very, very important as a child of God. You know, it helps to identify like, you know, which you identify with um, fellow believers. But it doesn't save you or me. Baptism didn't save anyone because this is like a ritual that you've just gone through. So anything that man goes through externally you know these are rituals um you know ceremonies they will not meet the conditions that god has put on for man you know as man's condition is a sad condition so jeremiah in jeremiah 17 verse 9 he talks of this let me just turn to the book of jeremiah okay so jeremiah 17 verse 9 um, where are you? Right, here we go. So Jeremiah 17, uh, verse 9 reads, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So here, um, you know, no one can actually know how bad the human heart is until you actually you know, witness how bad the human heart is. Because everything that comes out in the, you know, physically, you know, it begins from the heart, you know, because you conceived it in your heart and it actually just comes out. So, you know, the heart is desperately wicked. And the Lord Jesus Christ made this clear in Matthew 15, uh, verse 18. And Matthew 15, verse 18 reads, But those things which proceed out of the mouth, come from the heart, and they defile a man. So, it, let me just read that again. But those things which proceed from the mouth come from the heart, um, and they defile man. So anything that's coming out of, uh, of a man's mouth, you know, it was conceived in the heart, and it comes out, you get to see it, it comes outwards. You know, the behavior of man and all, everything was conceived from the heart. So... We can know how desperate um, uh, um, and how, how evil, how bad a man's heart is. So no one can know how bad the human heart is. So just because one washes their hands or, you know, they have been through a ceremony or performed a ritual, this can never make one right with God. So the heart must be changed first. So it must be born again. The heart must be changed first. And the Lord Jesus, um, and actually the Lord Jesus Christ said this in Matthew 7 verse 16. Let me just turn to Matthew 7 verse 16 and it reads, You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from the thistles? 
So, um, you know, this is the principle that actually works. You know, out of the heart proceeds the, you know, issues of life. So, it's the heart that must be changed. Um, and then one, you know, one can't just go through a ritual. So the heart has to change. You know, the ritual is, you know, you just wash me outwardly. But what about the inside? You have to deal with the inside first. So the heart must be changed. So one can guess, just go through a ritual or a ceremony. Um, and, you know, they think they can be right with God. No, this won't make it right with God. God demands a clean heart. And, you know, Ephesians 6.6 6 says um, the following not with eye service as um, men pleasers but as bond servants of christ doing the will of god from the heart and in hebrews uh, that's hebrews ten twenty two, it reads um let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So man's heart, um, that, you know, man's heart by nature is very unclean and very evil, very bad, and cannot be made clean by just doing something. No, it can't. Just because, you know, you carry out a ritual and, you know, you expect like, oh, I'm baptized, I give to the poor and all. Uh, I do all these um, great things and great, I take part in all these great projects and, you know, that will make it right with God. No, the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? So if we look at Proverbs 20 verse 9, sorry, Proverbs 20 verse 9, it reads, who can say I have made my heart clean? I am pure from my sin. So this question, um, you know, has been asked. You know, you can't go and say, you know, um, I have been made clean. I have been, I'm pure because, you know, of the works that you're actually doing. So God has a formula and the answer that he gives to this question, he says in Isaiah 1 verse 18, um, it reads, that's Isaiah 1 verse 18 reads, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So that's the answer God gives. You know, go to the Lord and reason with him. And, you know, confess your sins and judge yourselves before you get judged. And, um, you know, that's the only way. It's only God who can actually cleanse our hearts. And in First Peter uh, 1, verses 18 to 19, it reads... Um, so that's, sorry, First Peter chapter 1. Yeah, verses 18 and 19 reads, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers but with the precious blood of christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot so here 
you know, it's stated one of the greatest principles. That's the only way. You know, we were redeemed by incorruptible, by the incorruptible seed, and we're not redeemed by silver and gold. Um, so this is one of the greatest principles. Um, so we have to go to Christ, reason with Christ, and, you know, uh, confess our sins, have fellowship with Christ. Only He can um, purify um, our hearts and make us born again. So God is actually saying now to these people in Haggai's time and to us as well, it also applies to us, that, you know, the reason that we haven't, um, you know, they, those people and you and I, we haven't been being blessed is because we actually go to God with unclean uh, hands and hearts. And we actually think that if we begin to do something that uh, is what's, uh, that will actually get accepted to God, acceptable rather, to God. And that's what these people thought. They thought, oh, hey, let us, um, you know, do something. Let us build a temple and then we're going to be acceptable to God because, you know, uh, we are uh, obeying what God is saying. But, you know, deep down in their hearts, they still, you know, have that old nature. They're still uh, walking around with, um, you know, an unclean heart. So, Verse 14 of our teaching today hmm, reads, um, Then Haggai answered and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, says the Lord, and so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer there is unclean. So the thought that these people, they actually thought that... Um, with an unclean heart, they could do something for God. And that would actually make everything right. But it actually didn't. They didn't receive their blessings. It just meant that, you know, what they did was unclean. Because they have unclean hearts and unclean hands. So no matter what they do, like, um, um, you know, works won't save you. And God won't accept anything that is unclean. Because, you know, like the question that Haggai asked, if an unclean person touches something that's um that's um clean will that um be passed on will that be made unclean the clean thing will it be made unclean yes it will be made unclean it's more like you know the example that dr david mcgee gave in yesterday's study about the liquor industry you know they make liquor and liquor has destroyed a lot of lives and look at what liquor is actually doing uh, in our societies destroying lives families and homes but you know at the end of the day they get part of their profits and they donate to charity does that still make it right whatever they're doing just because they're 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 they're, they're uh, donating to charity does that like you know um erase all the bad things that liquor is doing no it doesn't so um you know um, this is why these people now, they were complaining that, you know, they were not getting blessed and, uh, and all because they were doing something, but they had unclean hearts and unclean hands. Um, and it's just meant that what they did was unclean. And this is the reason that, you know, an unsaved person can do nothing that is actually acceptable to God. They can't, they just can't. God won't accept it. Verse 15 reads and now carefully consider from this day forward from before stone was laid upon stone in the temple of the lord um so here god now says from this day on 
I am going to bless you. Because now these people have acknowledged, you know, their sin and all. So up to this time, God hadn't been able to bless them because um, whatever they were giving wasn't clean. They were just, it was just a ritual for them. So verse 16 goes on to read, Since those days when one came to a heap of 20 ephahs, um, or measures, I think, yeah, there were but 10 when one came to the wine vats to draw out 50 baths from the press, they were but 20. I struck you with blight and mildew and hail in all the labors of your hands, yet you did not turn to me, says the Lord. So, you know, the heart hadn't turned um, to God. And now they have actually turned to the Lord and the Lord is going, is, is, is going to bless them. So these people had actually returned to the land, but they, but they hadn't returned to God. Verse 18 goes on to read, Consider now from this day forward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, so that's from the 24th of December, um, 520 BC, from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it, verse 19, is the seed still in the barn as yet the vine the fig tree the pomegranate and the olive tree have not yielded fruit but from this day i will bless you so god said now that their hearts is right before him he will bless them so the reason that they haven't been receiving um any blessings at all um, all along, even though they had been doing things, you know, for example, they built a temple and went through all the rich, all the services and rituals of the temple, but this didn't actually change them. Even when God sent them into captivity, they were going through all the temple rituals. So our hearts have to be right before God in order for us to actually receive God's blessing. So we tend to wonder, you know, why things are just not working out. You know, you try this and try that because our hearts are not right with God. Verse 20 goes on to read, um, And again the word of the Lord came to Haggai on the 24th day of the month, saying, So here we ha have the expectation for the future. And Haggai received two messages from God on the same day. That's on the 24th of December, 520 BC. So here we have the expectations. Now Haggai is talking, like the theme here is... Um, the expectation for the future. Verse 21 goes on to read, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake heaven and earth. So this is a message to the civil ruler uh, who was in the line of David. And this is a promise made to him. Verse 22 goes on to read, I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the Gentile kingdom. I will overthrow the chariots. And those who ride in them, the horses and their riders shall come down, everyone by the sword of his brother. So here, God will shake all nations. This is God's judgment. He will shake all nations. He will overthrow them in that day. That's the day of the Lord. So they trusted in chariots then, back then in, in, in Haggai's day, they were chariots, but now we have the atom bomb. You know, nations do trust in the atom bomb, but they are the most powerful if they have the latest weaponry or armory. 
So uh, they tr trusted in, ch in chariots and all. And God says he will shake the heaven and the earth and destroy all nations. So the judgment of God is coming. He will shake heaven and earth. Not this shaking that we actually see right now. You know, we've gone through World War One, World War Two, the Great Depression. Now we're going through this pandemic. Uh, this is nothing compared to, you know, when the Lord shakes the heaven and the earth. Verse 23 reads, In that day, that's the day of the Lord, says the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, says the Lord, and will make you light a signet ring, for I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. So here now, the signet is uh, an identification of royal blood and, you know, reign. And Zerubbabel is in the Davidic line. So the, the Messiah will not only come through David, he will come through Zerubbabel and um, the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ and Zerubbabel, you know, in Matthew 1, it's actually mentioned in Matthew 1 and in Luke 3. So Zerubbabel and David are, you know, both in the, this Davidic genealogy. Yeah, sorry, Zerubbabel and David are in the genealogy of, sorry, Jesus Christ. So God made good of his promise. So here it says, in that day. So in that day, so this looks forward to the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the day of the Lord Jesus Christ will actually come at the end of the Great Tribulation period. And he intends to put the line of David, um, the line of David, um, you know, on the throne. And he is, um, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the King of Kings and the moral and civil ruler. So, you know, in conclusion, I like Dr. Jamie McGee's conclusion. He said, let's be found faithful and let's work. So that's the word of encouragement. Very practical book. Let's be found faithful and let's work. Let's just not go through rituals and, you know, um, and all these things. And if we don't get or if we don't receive the blessings and things are not going right, let's not try and put so many things, you know, materialistically between you and God. Um, and, and, you know, just, you know, find all these excuses, you know, have this pious platitude and say, oh no, you know, stuff happens, you know, it's not yet my time. Maybe God is trying to tell you something, you know, sit, pause, sit, look and listen, you know, stop, look and listen. Yes. Um, or, you know, be still and hear God trying to speak. So let's be found faithful and let's work. So this has been a great study in the book of Haggai. Thank you all for listening in. God bless you all and have a pleasant day. Bye-bye.